So for the past couple weeks, we've been working through a series called Strong and Courageous, which looks at Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. A couple weeks ago, Matthew went through the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness. Last week, uh, Ben told us about the importance of the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, um, which is something that we all need more peace of. So, and in accordance with that, let's read through this, or let me read it, and you read. It'll be up on the screen, um, just so that we can set where we're at. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And as we said, they were doing the shield of faith, which Paul says to take up shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows. Now, in Paul's armory, his list, the shield is the only article that he really defines what it's for. The other ones he defines what it is, but the shield of faith, he says it's a shield, it's faith, and it stops the fiery arrows of the enemy. So there's a lot to unpack in those words. So that's where we're going this morning. So before we get too far, let's have a word of prayer and get going, okay? Lord, we just thank you for this time and this space to share your word and to hear what you have for us this morning. Father, we just ask, come Holy Spirit to invade this room, invade our hearts, open up things that we've never seen before, Lord, and just that we can be honest with ourselves and wherever you would take us. And Lord, I just pray that these words would be of you and that they would help people grow closer to you, which is really what it's all about. And Lord, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you think about a shield, there are two sides, right? There's kind of the back side that you grab onto. You saw the tactical guys that had it and they were behind it. And then there's a front side, right? So you got a front and a back. And in the same way, when we talk about faith, There's really two sides to faith. There's two primary ways of thinking about faith. And so we're going to look at both of those for starters. Now, the one side of faith, the one that we hang on to, that's what we believe. Now, everybody, whether they are religious or Christian or anything else, they have some sort of faith. They're holding on to something. And that really defines who they are, who we are. Some people call it a worldview, a religion, maybe a folly, but it's how we try to understand the world and others around us. Now, in a Christian thought, that kind of faith is really the realm of theology and doctrines, covenants, laws, all those things. And yet there's a mystery because some who academically study theology have no faith. They haven't found it yet. It's just a book for them in some cases. But why is that? That's something I always wondered when I was going through it a little bit myself, is because the facts of faith are meaningless 
without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what faith really is. See, that relationship is so vitally life-giving that Jesus likens it to a branch and a vine in John 15, which I'm sure you're familiar with. John 15, 4 to 5, if you're taking notes, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For you, for a branch, cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitless if you remain, you cannot be fruitless unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, in a way, I kind of misspoke earlier when I said our faith is what we believe. And I think for us, especially as followers of Christ, it's more to correct to say our faith is who we believe in. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Now, to illustrate that just a little bit and to dig in just a shade more, um, over the past couple of millenniums, since the time of Christ and shortly thereafter, followers of Christ have distilled faith down into a series of creeds, different ones. You probably are familiar with some of them. Um, one is called the Apostles' Creed, which is pretty familiar. I had the opportunity uh, a couple of years back before COVID. And amazing, we always go pre-COVID, after COVID. You know, that's how we define our lives now. Um, Pre-COVID days, I had a Presbyterian church, and part of their morning ritual service was reciting the Apostles' Creed. That was just part of what they did. Now, me growing up where I grew up, we never did any of that stuff, so it was a little bit foreign to me. But anyway, this morning, we're actually going to recite the Nicene Creed together. Hopefully, we've got it up on the screen, I think. Um, I do want to say, though, for those who don't know, just to let you know, it's going to, at one point, the creed mentions the Holy Catholic Church. It's not, it is meaning, in, in its meaning, it's meaning all Christians everywhere, and it's not exclusively talking about the Roman Catholic Church. So some people can get that confused, but the creed itself says the Holy, Holy Catholic Universal Church. So in this case, I do want to try to read this together. All right, if you're familiar with it, it will be up on the screen. We'll kind of go slow so we can do it. All right. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same ancestors as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead 
and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. So whether you're a part of the Western church, which we would be considered a part of in a way, or the Eastern church, which would be like the Eastern, various Eastern Orthodox churches, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, fundamental or evangelical, dispensational or open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, Reformed or Arminian, traditional or modern, regardless of the tribe, denomination, or division which you may identify with, as Christians and followers of Christ, this is what we all believe. And that is our faith. It's a faith in the person of God, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you boil it down, if you go to any of those places, yes, there's going to be distinctions of doctrine and all kinds of other crazy things. But when you look at the core, the core is always going to be that relationship with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That is our faith. It's the faith that we have here. And it's important, and that's what we hang on to. And it's the relationship that we have that drives that, just like we talked about vine and branches. It's through this faith that we understand who we are and who God is. Now, Peter gave us a really cool description in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 about who we are. Um, now, he was talking to folks that didn't, didn't have a Jewish relationship. Okay? They, weren't, they weren't naturally God's people. Um, and he was saying, no, wait a minute, you are included in this. And he, write, he says it this way, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, wonderful light. For you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. For once you have received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Now, there's a phrase I've been hearing recently because through the chosen, if you haven't watched that, do sometime. And it says something like this, through faith in Christ, we are not what we were. That's what we are. We are not what we were because of our faith, because of what we're holding on to, this side of the shield, we're not what we were. And it's an important thing to grab onto, as we'll see in a moment, because that's kind of what keeps us from getting too crazy here. But that's only the one side, right? That's the hang on to side of the shield of faith. The other side, I like to put it this way. The other side of the shield is faith in action. It's when we do something with this. Now, there is no really quick, concise list of what faith in action looks like. It would be, it would be impossibly long, right, uh, to try to get every single thing that it could possibly ever be. I think we can distill it down this way, and this is my own way of looking at it, is that faith in action is a really a simple formula. It goes something like this. Actions of love intended to fill a void or to push back against darkness and glorify Christ. You have to put all that kind of sorted together because that's what we're trying to do. When somebody's down and we're doing something, we're trying to fill that or we're trying to bring light to the situation and glorify Christ. Now, early in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking, and he kind of almost outside, after you get through the blessings, he prefaced the sermon by saying, you are salt and light. And I'm going to read the light portion, which is Matthew 5:14 and 16. 
And Jesus put it this way. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And then in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. So keep that in mind here for a minute. See, it's not just the... It's got a, The question I wrote down is, and I'm stumbling a little bit on it, but is it the actions or is it the intentions that matter? See, a lot of times we get to this idea that it's what we do, and to be honest, it's what and why. Why are we doing what we're doing? Keep in mind my little definition. It had a tagline kind of sort of on it. And glorifies Christ in the earlier. And Jesus' statement about light said the same thing. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, there's a lot of good deeds out there that are perfectly great and fantastic. And I'm not saying they're bad because they're not connected up in the same way. There's many who will offer a cup of cold water to others. Now, I don't know how many of you have traveled But if you've gone out west, and if you've gone through South Dakota and through the Badlands, there's this, what used to be a little drugstore, but now is a gigantic tourist stop called Wall Drug. It's right right in the middle of nowhere, on the edge of the worst ground you could ever possibly try to grow anything. But they started their business, they started, one of the things that's got their tourist trade going was they, back in a long time ago, just started giving out cold water to anybody who would come along. But they even say in their business thing, when I looked on their website, you know, did they do it to, as a ministry? or anything? No, they did it. I'm, we're going to offer cold water to hopefully grow our business. They actually say it on their website just like that. So we're different than that. And there's no problem with them doing that. I'm not downing them, okay? I'm just saying their intent is over here. Our intent is over here. The action could be the same, but it's the intent that makes the difference. So all well and good, but we're instead tasked to shine our light when we somehow or another offer a refreshing cup of cold water just to throw that example out and do it in such a way that glorifies God. Now, does that mean that we have to be over the top on it? Of course not. It can be just little subtle stuff that even shines that light and says that. So I'm not saying it has to have... X number of wrapper around it to make it qualify. It's what is our intention? Why are we doing what we're doing? That's all part of faith. But as soon as we start going down this road, we start wanting to judge each other and who's doing what and why aren't they doing this and all kinds of this stuff. You see, your actions of faith, even in this small, with us, just in this room and those online, your actions of faith will be different than my actions of faith. They just will be because I'm wired one way, you're wired another one. I've got these sets of people over here that I'm connected to. You've got these sets over here. And that's perfectly cool because that's the way God made us. All are valuable, needed, and blessed by God. Some of these actions may be just simply momentary encounters. And some of them may require a lifelong commitment. Some of these actions of faith will involve strangers. And other actions of faith will be for those that are nearest and dearest to us. Some will be in the limelight, very visible. And others will be deeply behind the scenes, hardly ever noticed. 
Some will appear to be religious, and some will appear on the surface as simply charity. So we see we can't get too carried away with saying, well, this is and this isn't. Because part of our problem is we can't always judge intent of heart unless somebody tells us what it is. Um, But we still have to, for ourselves, look at our own intent and what we're trying to accomplish and what we're trying to do. So all are needed and all are valuable towards glorifying Christ and extending his kingdom. Now, Paul kind of summarized this up a little bit when he was talking to the Galatians about the law and all kinds of other things. And there's, I'm going to read the whole verse, but the really important bit is the last, last sentence of it. Um, it's Galatians 5, 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And I think that keeps everything balanced. And I could go over other scriptures that bring in those balance, just like what is remaining after everything else is gone but faith, hope, and love. And it's all three of those even winding together that create something that is impossible without the other. So we have the faith that we hold on to, which is who and what we believe in. There is a faith that we put into action of the things that we do um, in Christ's name and in different ways to somehow extend the kingdom. But Paul adds a third part of the shield to the scripture. So we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And that's what Paul's instruction is about the shield extinguishing the fiery arrows, darts of the evil one. Now, we've read the scripture. We've gone through it a couple times. So you know what the first part says. I'm just going to summarize a little bit. It says to put on the armor so that we can stand against the armor, the, the enemy. And our enemy is not flesh and blood. But our enemy is the evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. So we do have an enemy. And part of faith understands that, that we're in a spiritual battle for the eternal soul of humanity, for each other, for one another. Now, that's a whole other catalog of things that would take forever to talk about as far as And we're not going to spend the time today to plumb all the depths of evil, spiritual warfare, demonology, all the things that go into that. Um, It's enough to know that we do have an adversary throwing darts at us, which means we should duck more often sometimes. But um, Ben kind of touched on stuff last week about some spiritual warfare stuff, and he even also said, hey, this this is only a brief And that's all I'm going to give you this morning, too, is just a little bit. Um, It's worth diving into sometime, but to be honest, if I have to choose between teaching you anything about demonology or anything on this side and knowing Jesus, I'm always going to teach you knowing Jesus. Because if you've got this, you'll beat this. That's the important thing in my book. So anyway, getting back to off my track there a minute. So, but we're... We live in an era where it seems like every time you turn around with, there's either there's somebody is upset and fighting against somebody else. Um, it's very, very culturally worry driven era, right? Who's on what side and all kinds of crazy things like that. And sometimes we as Christians forget which war we're fighting. Okay? So I want to make sure, yes, we are an army dressed for battle. 
We are prepared, and that's what this sermon, this sermon series is all about, is preparing for battle. But we are, like, we are an army like no other. Now, if you've ever, and I don't know who's served and who hasn't, but the primary goal of military force is to kill people and break things. That's what they're good at. That's what they do. Dave can attest to that, because I know you served, so I just don't remember everybody's history. That's what they do, kill people, break things. Our mission is not that. Our mission is to rescue the very ones the enemy is using to throw the fiery darts. We are on a rescue mission. It's not an army of judgment. That day's not here yet. We are an army tasked with something very special because it's actually the same mission statement of, that Christ used. Now, I'm going to paraphrase something, and it's going to be, I think we've got this one up on the board. Um, now, when Christ spoke this, this was his mission statement. And, oh, they changed it. Very good. Okay. So where it says us was originally me, just so you know, I'm not trying to twist or change scripture. I'm just applying something because, and I can explain why that works. But what is Christ's mission is our mission. So I wanted to read it like it really is our mission. The spirit of the Lord is upon us, for he has anointed us to bring good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And in my view, I call that general order number two. Now, side trip here a little bit, because I call it number two, you probably want number one. And maybe number three, I don't know. Um, Number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's general in my book. My understanding, my priority um, is that's number one. General order number one is love God, love others. General order number two is this is what we're about, to set people free. And general order three is go everywhere and make disciples. Now, I'm also paraphrasing that down somewhat too. So, having got that settled a little bit, what are the fiery darts? What is he really throwing at us? Now, we all know this. We've all experienced these in a lot of different ways. They're words, thoughts, deeds, temptations, which war against our faith in God. And I was, I was thinking about this even a little deeper this morning. They're always a temptation of some sort. Not maybe a temptation to do something, but maybe a temptation to be mad at somebody. Maybe a temptation to do something or not do something. There's always a temptation angle to the darts. And that's something that we a lot of times think that just it's just oppression just to be oppressed. Now, he does, the enemy doesn't oppress just to simply oppress. The enemy oppresses to keep us from doing things, to keep us away from God. Now, to understand the darts and to give a little bit of scriptural to this, you guys know the story uh, of the fall of the serp, or the fall of Adam and Eve, but we're going to look at just a bit of it and then a bit out of First John, um, and then remember something that was said last week. So Genesis three, four, and six says this: the serpent begins talking. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, which is a flat-out lie, basically. But God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. That was the dart, but here's where it struck Eve at. 
The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, that the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave to her husband, and he ate it, um, who was with her, and he ate it, and the rest is history, and we've been there ever since. (laughs) But remember those three, okay? So later, the apostle John wrote a letter, 1 John, and these verses are in 2, 15, and 16. And it goes like this, and it says, Do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers you only the craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything you see, and pride in your achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. So we kind of see the same. If you overlap those, you'll see if there was a Venn diagram or something, you kind of overlap those. You'll see how they line up and kind of mesh. And then you throw in the temptations of Christ on top of that, and you see that the enemy tends to basically always do the same thing. He wants to get you hungry on something. He wants to entice you by what you can see or what it can do for you. That's how, to be honest, that's nothing new. Every commercial, every design does those things. I just, side trip, I think I got a minute for a side trip. So right now I'm teaching my one class about advertising. And I'm saying it's not, they don't sell cars by telling you how much horsepower is in it. They sell you cars by telling you what it will do to your self-esteem or in some way improve your life, right? No, there isn't a car commercial built that goes, and the wheelbase is this, and it uses this tires, it's got this engine, and it's got this fuel mileage, unless they're really pushing fuel mileage. It's got this horse. They don't do that. They go, oh, yeah, I'm Matthew McConaughey on a Lincoln going down the road. That's cool. Yeah. That's the same thing Satan does. It's the same. It's exactly the same thing. So last week, Ben alluded to that these attacks or these things come from three different areas. And I just wanted to pull that back up in your memory. And they are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? So those do come at us. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's the world that is involved. And sometimes it's the devil, and you know, our enemy. So when I say a lot of times that the fiery darts are temptations, we often immediately jump to the big stuff. Uh, and by big stuff, I mean like the Ten Commandments. Okay, those are pretty big, right? Or perhaps we go through the list of what is commonly called the seven deadly sins. Don't ask me to write them. I did not write them down, and I can't do them from memory. Maybe some of you can. Now, those are real temptations. I'm not taking anything away from any of those. But we can also be tempted in other ways. We can be tempted to doubt our forgiveness in Christ. We can be tempted to doubt that God loves us. We can be tempted to doubt all kinds of things. The enemy loves throwing, for instance, a fiery dart that will tempt us to shame and regret, to remind us of all those times like Adam and Eve, we've fallen from God's desire. You see, if he can't get us to turn from God, he will try to make us think that either God has turned from us or that we're just plain unworthy and unlovable. That's his goal. And there's a, there's a but here, and it's a really gigantic one, and if I were really brave, I'd have Trey turn up the sound really loud, and we just, no, don't do it. We just reverberate the whole thing, okay? A lot of times we get this idea that God and enemy and our enemy Satan are on evil plane. They're not, okay? Yes, there is a real devil, and he does cause real problems, but guess what? 
That's not the way it works. Because through faith in Christ, again, we're not what we were. For you died to this life, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about another scripture that goes into that as well. Now, I don't know if this ever happened to you. Driving down the road, and you know how you got a little bit of time, and your mind kind of wanders into places that maybe you haven't visited in a long time. And every now and again, it'll wander into one of those things like, and he'll remind me of a sin in my past. Some way I treated somebody poorly, something that I've learned now that was bad, something that is just, see, you're not a very good person here, Dale. You just got it messed up. You're just, you're just not going to make it. And it's when those, the enemy comes and kind of says, remember that time? Anybody else get that? I get it, okay? We've all, okay. Here's my, I've got, I've got a battle plan for this one, okay? It's going to be a little strange, but I think you'll get it, okay? So when that comes, I go, yeah, 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 I did that. That was a sin, mm-hmm, yeah. Father, forgive me. I repent of it. I receive your forgiveness. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. The enemy hates it. He doesn't want me turning to God. He wants me to turn away from God. So when the enemy reminds me of something, even though I may have prayed and asked forgiveness a hundred times, I go, yeah, I did that all right. Yep. Lord, forgive me. And he goes away. He can't. <laughs> That's it. End of story. He's gone. Why? Because, again, he wants to drive a wedge and I'm running to the very thing he's trying to keep me from. So that's why that's it. I learned that habit a long time ago. When those things come up, I just run back and run through 1 John 1, 9 all over again. So as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we can extinguish more and more and more of these fiery darts because our faith grows. Our shield gets bigger, if you want to put it that way. The devil may throw all kinds of stuff our ways. Um, even curses and demons to oppress and all kinds of things. Um, but remember this, and this is the thing. God is greater. First John 4, 4. You belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Hang on to that. It doesn't matter I mean, yeah, we want to recognize when something's coming at us. We want to put up our shield of faith, but we've got to recognize that God is bigger. And we sometimes forget that. And the shield of faith extinguishes those attacks. Now, we have one more step in our journey today. We're almost done, but we've got one more step. You see, we oftentimes, as we go through the armor, we think it's really like we're the only ones in this tank, okay? I've got it strapped on. I'm cool. I've got myself protected. Everything's cool. Um, and that's true. That is the way Paul phrases it, the way you read it. It is yours. And I encourage you all not to go through some, not, not to go through some good luck charm of putting on your armor every morning, but to really get into what they mean and to dive into those attributes. Learning what righteousness is and growing in righteousness and growing in peace and seeking and growing in the truth and growing in faith. Because we're putting on God's armor. There's an Old Testament story about David trying to put on Saul's armor and it didn't fit all that good. Well, sometimes God's armor doesn't always fit all that good on us and we have to grow into it, okay? Um, but there's a little bit more. Because as I was kind of, as I was reflecting on the passage and thinking about what does God want to say this morning, I kept getting this image 
of somebody kind of on their knees down, not necessarily here, but just in general, and taking the shield and going like this and covering them. I'm taking my shield of faith and covering somebody else. And I think if you listen to Matthew's first sermon, there was this idea of stepping out for others, applying this not just for ourselves, but taking it out and covering others with it as well. And I see that in the shield as well. That is the one mistake the police made. They tried to all get behind one shield. And so God's asking us not only to cover ourselves, cover each other, but to cover others. Now, who are those others? Who do we need to extend that shield of faith over to? It's anyone who's got maybe weak or no faith. Okay? We encounter somebody that just at the end of the rope. Or it could be a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with something. We all have things that come up in our lives that we can't cover all on our own. We need each other. And I've heard a lot of sermons about the armor linking together, and it does do that. The shields were designed, especially the big ones, to link. But there's this idea of covering and doing things with that. That someone could be anyone that's not yet of faith. We can extend our shield over them in some way. That someone could be someone who is elderly or children who need extra care. It could be someone that has a broken, is broken a spirit, or maybe even they're hostile towards God right now. They may be the very ones who are throwing darts our way. And somehow, some way, we can extend our shield of faith to kind of cover him a little bit. And we do that through care and prayer and forgiveness and compassion, all the things that we've experienced from God. So it's cool what God has given us in this armor. It's not just something to metaphor to explore, okay? It's something very real, very tangible, something to hold on to. So as we get ready to get into our time of worship, we're going to consider these things a little bit. So as you go through worship, as you kind of think about it, I'll give you some questions um, just to kind of ponder. Where do you need to strengthen your faith in God? It isn't so much a matter of having all the right answers, but of trusting what you do understand. There's always more of God and Jesus to discover. Okay, I love it. It's like, how can an infinite being understand an infinite God? Well, you, you grow into, and you'll never really come to an end of it. In what areas are you most vulnerable to attack? You know, sometimes we have to understand, well, okay, boy, if I go down that road, I'm going to fall real quick because I just know it. We have to understand that about ourselves. And how do we grow? What part of faith do we need to grow there? Ask, you know, and lastly, consider how the Lord is leading you maybe to extend that shield over others and what that might mean for you. All right? So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for faith and that you give us that part of faith. You put it, you give it to us, and then it grows in us like a mustard seed grows. And Lord, we thank you that just the the depth that is in just that simple word. And Lord, today I just pray as we enter in worship that, that your 
Your glory will be here. We'll glorify you. We'll lift you up. We'll lift and pray for each other. And Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your word. And Father, we just turn again all of this to you and we look to you in all things.